0: Hey housing news listeners, this is Alison Lloyd. I'm a reporter on HousingWire's editorial team and I'm also the producer of this weekly podcast. Today, I am bringing you the eighth episode of season two, which features Phil Shoemaker, the executive managing director and chief business officer at HomePoint Financial. This week, HousingWire's president and CEO, Clayton Collins sits down with Phil to discuss three housing trends to watch for in 2020. According to Shoemaker, the housing industry will see a boost in mergers and acquisitions as well as broker expansions. Additionally, Shoemaker says the industry is likely to see an increase in technology in the new year. But before we listen, Clayton will bring you a word from our sponsor.
1: Hey folks, this is Clayton Collins, the CEO at Housing Wire. And before we get started with this episode of the Housing News Podcast, I want to bring you some knowledge and insight from our sponsor, ArchMI. With interest rates at historical lows, refinances finances are booming, How do you win this business? It's simple. Lower the MI premium for your borrower. The newest feature of Arch's innovative RateStar platform, the RateStar Refinance Retention Program, makes it possible. Eligible borrowers with loans already insured by ArchMI can refinance into new loans with a lower MI premium payment. Give your refi customers a better deal. If you'd like to learn more about how RateStar powers possibilities, visit archmi.com forward slash RateStarRefi. The Housing News Podcast is now a member of the Industry Syndicate. The Industry Syndicate has launched a podcast made for mortgage and real estate professionals by mortgage and real estate professionals. Download the app from Apple or Google and join the community today.
0: Thank you for listening. And here's episode eight of the Housing News Podcast.
1: Hey there housing news listeners this is Clayton Collins the CEO at housing wire and today we are live at our new headquarters in Irving Texas and uh, this is our first podcast in person with a guest at our new office and we are very honored that Phil Shoemaker, the chief business officer of Home Point Financial, <laughs> got on a plane and flew to Dallas from Ann Arbor to uh, to join us today. Phil, welcome to HousingWire. Yes,
2: thanks uh, thanks for having me here, Clayton. I'm honored to be the first, and I have to say your office is beautiful, so well done.
1: Well, thank you very much. We're, we're in the conference room today. Uh, we will have a beautiful podcast studio and a little broadcast room, but uh, we're still under construction there. So uh, next time we have you back uh, in season three, we'll make sure we're fully set up and official. Looking forward to it. And, uh, I know you don't complain too much about coming to Dallas. This is, uh, this is your former home, correct?
2: Yes. I've recently relocated to Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is awesome, but it is, uh, very different from Dallas.
1: (laughs) So still getting used to it. A little bit colder, a little bit smaller.
2: Yeah. A little bit colder, a lot smaller. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I'm traveling less. So I like, I like that part of it, but I will always, uh, Love Dallas. Great place to
1: live. But you didn't just relocate for no reason at all. It's a pretty good opportunity that brought you up there, correct? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I had, had the opportunity to work with uh, Willie Newman and help build HomePoint. You know, and uh, really, really, uh, you know, I met Willie. He's, uh, the company's only four or five years old. It, he was looking to do something special, specifically uh, around um, wholesale, right, and bridging. You know, the unique thing about wholesale is, while I think the market is is materially expanding, there's not... A lot of connectivity with what's happening on the servicing side, yep. and so what we're setting out to do is create the you know first wholesale lender that actually bridges the originator and in, in, you know the broker originator with what's actually happening on the servicing side in a way that creates a, a you know more effective um, experience for the the service customer as well as allows us to retain those customers more effectively mutually.
1: Excellent. Huh? You know, yeah, it's pretty cool. So. I want to get more into HomePoint, but before we do that, let's talk about kind of let's lay the agenda for our listeners today. So the reason we want to do this episode is because Phil wrote an article for the December issue of the Housing Wire magazine. (laughs) Uh, Magazine went live on December first. We also published this article to our website, and tens of thousands of people have come and read this article about Phil's three housing trends to watch for 2020. (laughs) So, so in this episode, in addition to learning a little more about Phil and HomePoint. We're going to talk about the three trends: mergers and acquisitions to grow, broker expansion and fintech to increase, and then and then kind of what these three things mean to get mean all together as one. So uh, these are the topics we're going to cover. But before we get there, um, let's talk a little bit more about you, Phil. So uh, how did you get into the mortgage industry? What brought you to HomePoint? What is the the story of Phil Shoemaker? Wow.
2: Um, so like I think everyone that gets into to mortgage, you're not really planning on it. Um, <laughs> I was getting my electrical engineering degree in Tucson, Arizona, needed a, a part-time job and was lucky enough to get uh, connected with the guys that were starting First Magnus. So um, I was on the ground floor there and, and um, actually started off, I was their first shipper, I think, and ended up you know, running the post-closing group, went into IT, um, and then by the time I graduated uh, I was doing materially better than most people were doing in electrical engineering mm-hmm. <laughs> with an undergrad and and so I was stuck you know and and uh, you know the thing I like about mortgages there's always I think it kind of gets a bad rap because of the housing crisis right and I'm hoping that that changes because you know especially for young people it's such a dynamic uh, industry there's yep. so much to do you know there's like something for every everyone right there's the relationship side there's a lot going on from a tech standpoint there's a lot going on from a you know, data standpoint, it, it is exciting, you know, um, but that ended up, you know, I got stuck there. And I, so I worked at First Magnus for about 10 years. And then when, when that uh, went the way that a lot of mortgage companies did in 2007, um, I was part of a startup that eventually became Caliber Home Loans. And so I was actually the, the first employee at Caliber and worked there building that platform, really proud of um, of what we did there and what they continue to do. But I uh, had the opportunity to. To do something different, you know, just like anything in life, sometimes you just kind of want to go do something different, you know, and got connected with Willie Newman. He's, he'd started uh, Home Point, and here I am building the whole point
1: so was that that it experience and background you had from your electrical engineering degree and then your time at first magnus was that applied into your the reason you were employee number one at, at caliber or had your career kind of taken a different shift toward the business side at, at that stage
2: yeah about half of my time at, at first magnus was maybe was heavily focused on the it side and then I'm, I'm one of those rare you know technologists typically don't communicate well with people and so i i was able to you know to talk to people (laughs) and so i think that that ended up taking me more on the business side so the last half of first magnus i was i spent more time doing some of the strategic stuff for the ceo and and so when when um, first magnus um, uh, ended he actually asked me to lead the startup and so we actually spent a year Building a whole new platform from scratch, designing a whole new process, working like 24 hours a day, six days a week. I was a lot younger back then. I could do it, you know, <laughs> uh, and uh, and it was fun, you know. And so and then when when uh, uh, that brought me to to Caliber, I went heavy onto the business side. I ran ops for the first couple of years at of Caliber and and uh and i think that's where you when you're actually directly making loans to borrowers and you're on the calls you know with emotional borrowers and you're experiencing all the dynamic nature of mortgage and the relationship side of it like it really teaches you what mortgage Mm -hmm. is about because i think back when i was just technology you know and i used to approach the world for how do i automate someone's job away how do i you know, how do I create this black box where on one end you send in a borrower's data and the other end you just s- spit out a, a loan. And, and you know, subsequently I realized many, many years ago that's a very naive way to approach mortgage banking because <laughs> it, it is so, uh, it's people-based, right? It's, you know, even though I think technology has a huge opportunity to make the experience better for our borrowers and our industry as a whole, you know, I, I don't think, at least in my lifetime, you're ever going to get the people out you know of the business because it's a it's a stressful thing you yep. know it's the largest transaction that most people will do in their life and they don't want to do that with a computer they want to do that with people
1: I mean you talk about that being a lesson that you started learning decade ago, but I mean, even going back two or three years, the, the topic of disruption and technology in the mortgage industry was still very much focused not on disrupting the processes, but <laughs> disrupting the people. And I think there was still, and maybe there still are, yeah. a lot of people that are afraid that their specific role in the industry may disappear. Yeah. Um, and uh, but, but it sounds like you've long learned a focus that it's more about disrupting the processes and the way people do business so they can be more effective and more impactful.
2: Yeah, it's about, it's about leveraging People and, and, and allowing them to focus on the part that, that they add the most value to, which is the service mm-hmm. delivery, right? It's the interaction, and it's funny because you, you mentioned that that's one of the things that I've seen over the years. It's like there's always, you know, there's always these you know people, companies in mortgages make their money you know in between the peaks and the valleys, right? The booms, the refi yep. booms, and so what what you'll see is you'll see everyone gets really busy when there's a refi boom and they stop really talking about mm-hmm. you know technology, but then. Then when the refis go away and you see this trough, now all of a sudden people's cost structures become an issue, right? Companies' cost structures become an issue, and so everyone starts talking about how the industry is going to change. and And I always think that there's a large portion of the industry that approaches it the wrong way, and they're focused way too much on how to, you know, change the fundamental, you know, foundation of mortgage and, and take the people out of it. And I think to some extent that's why there's been a lot of failures with tech startups over the years, is because they don't understand people side of it and so the way that i've always tried to you know because i'm still heavily you know involved in the, the the evolution of technology at home point is you know the way we approach it which i think is the right way and other people should approach it is how do you take and deploy technology to make your employees lives more effective more efficient more enjoyable and then that, in turn, I think provides a much better experience for your clients and gives you leverage from a cost structure as well as gives you leverage because you're just delivering a better product yep. and people are going to want to use it more.
1: So 15 months ago, you walked into this new opportunity at HomePoint. At the time, HomePoint was a, a four-ish-year-old uh, mortgage lender. Is that correct?
2: Yes, about that. <laughs> All right, so uh,
1: so what did you walk into in terms of technology, infrastructure, or, or roadmap? How, how was your background of marrying... Uh, technology, business operations, and strategy? Uh, how, did, how did you look at what you were kind of walking into in this new big role at HomePoint?
2: Yeah, it was funny. So I, I the, the you know, the one thing, just like anything in life, you always, you know, it's one thing to look at something from an outsider in, and then it's another thing to be a part of it. And so it's funny, my perception of HomePoint, when I was evaluating and made the decision to come over, was a lot different than, you know, six months into it. Yep. Um, but the the one thing I know I got right was, you know, I, 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 I heavily made the decision off of you know, wanting to work with people that get it, that that um that are, you know, that operate in a team environment, that, that have, you know, not their best and not their intentions in mind, but the, the the company's intentions and how do we all win together. And so I think culturally it's one of the best places I've ever worked. Um, and as a result of it, it's allowed us to do, you know, we did just if you look on on the wholesale side, two hundred and seventy million in February. Just last October is our peak, we did one point seven billion. It's a, few. it's a massive ramp, yeah. And, and and we did that without really having um, the platform completely baked, to be honest with you, from a technology. And so a lot of it's been brute force and people. And so um, I, I viewed it, to go back and answer your question, is that there was a ton of opportunity. You know, as a relatively young company, and so it was my my opportunity to put a stamp on something and influence it and use some of the lessons that I've learned over the years to try to make something better. And, and uh, I, I feel very good that you know about making that decision and we're yep. good but i will say i i did not fully appreciate how much work <laughs> <laughs> goes into building something you've been a while you know I was, a little, I was a little maybe spoiled you could say um for having some things figured out you know many years back and trying to refigure yep. those things out a, again
1: <laughs> a, a decade of lending can uh, at, at caliber can I iron out some um, yeah. processes and systems and yeah. exactly okay so uh so before we get into the, uh, to the three big trends for 2020, um, I want to talk about like so one, one thing that's become apparent to me as I learn more about you and home point is it aligns pretty well with one of our, our 2020 kind of mantras or sayings for how, uh, housing wire for 2020. So our, our mission for 2020 is growth through focus. And yes. uh, we know that there's a lot of shiny objects to fit, to chase, and there's a lot of different places we can spend our time and resources, uh, but we know where where our audience needs us most, and where we'll have the highest return on that investment. And as I watched this, some of the moves you have made at HomePoint, it sounds like there's been that same kind of growth through focus. And uh, and when you walked in, you made some pretty big changes early on in terms of that the focus on the broker channel, correct?
2: Yeah, I mean that's that, and this is funny because I I mean I have a lot of really good friends in retail, and so oftentimes I'm misinterpreted as though you know why do you hate retail? So I don't really hate retail. Um, I think. There's some very good originators in retail, but, mm-hmm. you know, just, just like anything in life, I think if, if you, you know, if you, if you have five things that you want to do, you typically end up being okay at five things, right? Versus if you're saying, Hey, I want to be the best at, at just this, right? You typically end up being coming really good at just this. And that was, that was one of the things that, you know, really attracted me to what Willie wanted to do is like the, the. The coming displacement, um, you know, from retail to wholesale, I think, was apparent, and and again, it's not because one channel is better than the other. It's it's a it's a sheer, you know, function of economics and cost. If if you look at if you look at retail, um, mortgage banking is about scale, right? And so, if you have scale, you have a lot more. You know, I guess you know gas in your tank right Mm -hmm. because you can spread your volume uh, across the you know a a smaller fixed cost structure but you have a lot of these kind of smaller companies that maybe haven't achieved that scale yet and if you look at if you look at retail such a a large portion of the cost structure about 75 in some cases 80 80 percent of the cost structure is the distributed retail branch and the and the comp structure of the lo and the branch manager and the regional managers and the divisional managers Mm -hmm. and and, and that might make sense at a certain scale, but there is a point where it doesn't make sense. And, and so as a result, you see these retail companies that will spend literally a large majority of their time just trying to manage what's happening at the branch level. And the reason why I, I really felt um, more attracted to wholesale and thought it was a better thing for me to focus on now is you don't have to really do that in wholesale, right? So the beautiful thing about wholesale is an originator, you know. They can do what they want to do. If they have, if they want to go have multiple LO assistants, if they want to move into a li- nice office like you guys have here and <laughs> underoccupied, fifty yeah. percent, and and they're able to justify that with their own economics and make money, more power to them. Right. I don't have to worry about managing that. It self manages. And what that does for a wholesale lender or a lender that's wholly focused on wholesale is now you gotta spend all your time focusing on building a better platform, creating a more efficient platform, creating a better experience because. By the way, I have to win their business, right? They're not captive to me. If I'm not providing a better experience and a, and a better price and a better product offering, they can choose to go down the street. And so I just I just felt, again, you know, not that retail's bad. I think there's plenty of companies that do it well. But I think that given the market becoming more and more commoditized, you're gonna see the cost structure start to force more of the market to wholesale. Yep. All
1: right, well, let's jump into your three big trends for, for All right, let's do it. So you kicked off the article doing a little recap of 2019. I think everybody came into the year thinking that mortgage lenders would struggle. It's all this really unprofitable <laughs> Q4 2018. And uh, no one, um, I don't think, was too excited as, uh, as, the, as the, the ball dropped and we ticked into 2019. But uh, <laughs> it turns out we got an unexpected low rate environment. And that uh, low rate environment pushed profits up, everybody's pipelines are full, and refinances surged, in your words. Uh, so, so that's what we, we came into. And um, as we're going into 2020, we have a new opportunity to t- say, let's make some predictions and uh, anticipate what we're gonna see in the new year. And uh, your first anticipated trend is mergers and acquisitions will grow, and and you kind of kicked off this subject and when we were talking about uh, kind of the what mortgage banking is, and you said mortgage banking is all about scale, and that yeah. seems to be one of the things that might be driving this uh, this M and A trend in twenty twenty. So share your perspectives there.
2: Yeah, I think there's a few things. So um, yes, it's <laughs> it's really funny because if you go back to Q one of twenty nineteen, so we were also in correspondent. And so we get to see, we have a view of the industry through, through that, where it came from, a caliber, same thing. And what you saw was there is a disturbing number of correspondent lenders that were insolvent, right? And, and the, the warehouse banks were going to you know, continue to fund their loans because the warehouse banks need you know, to margin manage their yeah. business, and they're trying to create a certain <clears> amount of <throat> income as well. And, and so it was very clear that there's just a lot of business models out there that were not able to sustain uh, the, the, the current economics that the market was able to give them. And uh, and as you said, you know, we were all lucky that the the rate gods, you know, <laughs> blessed us with, with lower interest rates. And you never know that could happen in 2025. For one, uh, I think if you plan your business around, you know, uh, one purchase, right? So if you plan your business around that, and then you're also opportunistic around the refis, it's kind of hard to lose. Mm-hmm and so if you look at what i think is is looking like you know 2020 outcome will, will be is purchase purchase market you know is actually going to be relatively strong but it is somewhat depressed and it's it's really odd because you have this this kind of bubble of of demand that's being created with you know just the aging of the population where there's a lot of people now that are that are coming you know, into an age where they want to buy a home. They're starting a family, and so you'd think that would create pressure. But you also have this scenario where you have the baby boomers that are just kind of sitting tight. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's doing two things, really. It's, one is creating a, an inventory issue where even though you have this demand, you don't have a lot of supply. But you also have this, this, this secondary issue where the supply you have is not up to the standards that the new generation wants. And so um, I think what that means for next year is I, we're not planning that there's going to be a, a persistent refi yeah. boom throughout the year. You have to plan your business off of that. But we're also not planning that the purchase market's going to accelerate to meet this demand mm-hmm. because of the inventory issues you have. And if you boil all that down, where I think that leads you is you, you have two things going on. You will see that because of this year, we have now as an industry once again built up some excess capacity. And so the margin wars are going to start again. You're going to see the economics come down. People are going to struggle to make money. And then you're also going to have the factor of you have these players that, you know, that these, these owner, uh, these these, uh, individuals that have owned mortgage banks for years that are coming off what is likely one of their best years in a while, 2019. Where they're gonna say, hey, maybe it's a good time to sell. I got a, a, a shiny PL I can quarter out. Exactly. like uh, I can get a good multiple on 19's yep. earnings and, and 2020 doesn't look that optimistic. So i, I, I mean
1: think anybody who's been around the block, I don't know, it, even yeah. seen the block, knows that we're not bu- we're not buying or we're not selling IMBs off of twenty nineteen numbers without some kind of uh, some realization of what's what's to expect in twenty 2020 twenty. That's exactly right. Yeah. But
2: it will I think it will force it's gonna force people to you know, because I It was close, man. There's a lot of companies out there that really were a day Mm -hmm. away from being insolvent. And so I think there's going to be owners out there that remember that. And they're going to say, look, the minute it
1: starts to signal is going down, there's going to be a rush to try to get out. So as you, as you think about scale, is there any size IMB that you think is most susceptible to to needing to exit? Like, I mean, are there? Is it that they like a middle ground of IMB that's just in no man's land in terms of size? Or like, where, where do you see the most like kind of risk or the most attractive assets for in, in the M and A world?
2: Yeah, it's I mean that's that's that's, that's hard to manage or, or to to, to uh, answer because okay. it's really a function of their cost structure, right? And 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 all mortgage companies are not created the same. What I will say is that. It, And I think where you'll see, and this is totally counter to where I'm focused, (laughs) but I think what you're gonna see is there's gonna be a lot of probably really really well run retail shops that have you know built up a, a decent business around purchase centric LOs, right, that will have an opportunity to monetize it because even though these smaller shops can't make money, right? At, at their cost structure, at the you know, the market in the margin environment will be in. You add them to a larger platform, you now have economies of scale. And so I think that's where you'll see the uh-huh. the MA opportunities probably exist there.
1: And in that world, I mean there's actually probably some uh, some pretty successful exits where people make money. Oh, it's for sure. Not, it's not uh, it's not like fire sale scenario.
2: Yeah, it's I actually don't view this as a bad thing to be honest. With you. Mm-hmm. It's a natural cleansing and I and I think it's it's something where but I also think there is a timing piece to it, which is where, you know, you'll have certain companies that are in the market, I know a few of them, that will, will want to buy these types of assets. But yeah. once they buy it, right, you know, the, the three or four people behind them aren't going to have the opportunity. So yeah. I, I do think that's why you'll see kind of a push earlier in the year or when things start to signal as going, you know, lower on the margin side for, for people to monetize. Yeah. I,
1: well, I'm sure the conversations with the good investment bankers are already ramping now as people have, I would a, have a full year view on 2019. Those, the smart the, ones. Those, <laughs> those SIMs are getting uh, prepared right now and we're going to start seeing the banker calls and the auction processes begin in, uh, I don't know, January 1st. Yeah. <laughs> I would bet. <laughs> All right, let's jump on to the next trend. All right, broker expansion. This is really in line with what you're doing at, at HomePoint, so I imagine there you probably have a significant amount of expertise. So, yeah. so, wh- so what's your bet here? What's uh, why broker expansion in 2020?
2: Well, I think I think similar to you know the the if you look at the retail models out there that you're going to have kind of the, the two flavors of it. These purchase centric ones that are are probably going to be successful at making an exit, but then you're going to have a lot of companies that maybe are just caught from a timing perspective and, or, or they, they just don't want to make an exit. And as a result of it, the cost structure is going to force, I think, more people to. If you really look at what was going on in eighteen, a lot of the migration that was occurring had to do with the fact that, you know, the business is becoming more and more commoditized. Mm-hmm. And so just it's a sheer you know, function of the cost structure of a company. And if you come back to wholesale, um, get everyone's focused on the right thing. The reason why I like wholesale is the originator is accountable for running their business the way they want to run it, you know? And I, I honestly, pref- that's better for them, right? Because it gives them the autonomy to, to, to do what they know they need to do to be successful. Or if they're not good at it, they're going to go away pretty quick. Right. Yep. It's, that, it's, it's right? This is, uh, like water funding its own level there. Whereas, um, you know, the lender has to be able to focus on uh, or, or gives the opportunity to focus on building a better cost structure, building a mousetrap. And as a result of that, I think you're seeing a faster uh, pace of innovation coming out of wholesale because the lenders are able to focus on the innovation as opposed to managing the originator and their cost structure.
1: So the, so the broker kind of benefits from the the scale and the the resources that scale affords. It's a scale function. Okay. That's right. exactly right. And,
2: and it's a scale function. And from a cost perspective, as a lender, I don't have to have this bloated cost structure to manage them. Right? The market manages them. And then all of the all of my spend is devoted towards technology and people on creating efficiency. So I know,
1: like going back a few years, there's a lot of conversation with uh, with uh, lenders who had an entrepreneurial bend that broker was a path to mini correspondent to, yeah. to becoming an IMB at, at some point. Is that still a, a path that you see uh, yeah, brokers taking? I, I think so.
2: I mean, it's it's so funny because that part of the market sort of become blurred. In fact, you know, it's. It's always like you don't know what to call the channel anymore is it is it wholesale yep. is it third-party originator because a lot of if you look at the market as i see it today and this is pr- pretty consistent across the larger lenders you know the wholesale channel is about 70 75 true broker and then about 25 percent 30 percent, you know the non bell and the people maturing and and i do think it still is a very good path for people to start out as a broker and build you know their company into something that could be you know a delegated correspondent um i personally think that the the market is going to push that down though whereas you saw in like maybe 2012 13 that was the push it was like hey let's mature it was a way for them to maximize their comp but i think what people realized is the cost structure that you have to carry to have your own closing department to have your Mm -hmm. own underwriters to have your own qc group doesn't make sense at the scale you're able to operate at. And so I feel like you're gonna see some people that do it, but by and large, you'll stay broker. All
1: right, so I think some of the the benefits of being a broker that you mentioned in your article, um, the big one that was highlighted was price differentiation. And uh, so, for uh for b- brokers that are kind of in that market and working working with a lot of different wholesale lenders how are, how are brokers identifying like the best the best price or the best product or best wholesale lender that they should be putting their borrowers in front of
2: yeah and so i think that's you know that's an interesting question because i i i will suggest just genuinely <coughs> i think the the wholesale market is a better execution from a price perspective for an originator because of the competitive nature and the fact that I can focus on efficiencies. Genuinely, that's, that's the case. But you also get what you pay for, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think there is the second dynamic to this, uh, the other layer, is you still got to focus your business on purchase. And so there are there is a difference across lenders you know, around, hey, some, some lenders have built a model. Just you know, similar to HomePoint, what we're doing is we're building a model that's, that is similar to a retail model in terms of how you support an originator mm-hmm. from purchase. Right where you have consistency in your service delivery, you have the ability and, and, and connectivity really rather between the originator and what's happening operationally, so you can be a bit fluid in how you're managing your turn times. And so I think that that that's the two choices that brokers have to make. Is all right when does it make sense where you know price is the only thing that matters? It's a commoditized refi versus. You know, when do you need that extra touch because it's a referral partner? And hopefully, hopefully they're building their business around the referral partners.
1: Yeah, And you also mentioned in the article that that many retail originators are making the migration to the broker channel. Are are you seeing this migration kind of 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 retail originators opening their own shop, hanging their own shingle and becoming broker owners? Are you starting to see uh, retail originators kind of identify some of the larger faster growing brokers in the country and 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 join them for that ride and 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 how are they making what are the factors that help people decide between those two paths yeah it's it's really a function
2: of both i mean I, i think you're you're seeing um i couldn't i couldn't give you actual stats i actually am working to try to define that okay um because I think that's a number we need to track. But I think you're seeing a, a lot of rich areas that, that find it easy. Hey, they don't want to worry about managing a company. You know what I mean? They don't want to have to manage payroll. Even though I think there's there's it's not that hard to do. It's you know there's there's companies, home points, uh, helping, uh, LOs, turn, you know, start broker companies. There's AIM, right? That's it's building up an effort to to support people from in terms of starting their own company, getting infrastructure to actually manage it. And so it comes down to like. There's certain people that are comfortable managing a company and then there's other people that just want to go originate yeah.
1: loans you yeah. know and that's going to make, make the distinction there and when i uh i mean at housing wire we serve the, the lending world as well as the real estate community and we talk to, to real estate agents uh one of the things i hear about as they're thinking about their referral business is that there's this temptation for, for one reason or another to send a lot of the the easier business to their retail partners, and uh, brokers often get some of the the harder loans. And uh, I don't know if that's kind of an anecdotal uh, of the, the, the relationships I've had with some of our readers, or if you see that in the broker channel at all, and and how real estate agents should think about working with different referral partners, lending partners in the in the industry.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think, and that's kind of the, you know, to the point of my last comment, like there has been this common misconception that, for, for, that retail is a better execution for purchase mm-hmm. business. And, and I think where that comes from, I mean, look, the way purchase business is driven today, and I think what's going to likely persist for the foreseeable future is, you know, borrowers, borrowers are buying homes. They want to shop for homes online, but they're still predominantly buying homes using an agent. Absolutely, and, and and that means that that agent is is positioned to influence where that borrower goes to to get their loan. I mean, right? Especially
1: as we look at the wave of demographics right now, it's totally first time homebuyers. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, this is a, this is a fir- the first time you're buying a house. Is not really a decision I want to do online. Right, and and it's not a process buy, yeah. I want to run through online.
2: Right, and I know we're gonna get to yep. the tech side here in a sec, but but I think that dynamic is still <laughs> very much in existence. It's still very strong. And and so if you think about it from the agent's you know um, uh, you know mental state, right mm-hmm. there they're they're only getting paid if they're able to get that borrow in their home. And so understandably so, they're gonna be very cautious around where they send that borrow to ensure that the experience is good for that bar because it means future referrals, as, you know, to make sure that they, they get their loan, right? Um, and and so I feel like, that, you know, well, I know that, that over the years there's been a, a, a common misconception that the best place for the agent to refer that business is to a retail player because they have control over the service delivery and the process. But I do think that that's changed materially um, over the last few years. And, I mean, Caliber's a great example. UW's a great example. I mean, there's Homeboy's a great example. We're, we're doing a ton of purchase. There is um, wholes- There are many, many wholesale lenders out there that can support right, uh, a support purchase business in a way that doesn't put referral partners at risk. Yep. You know, and so I, and I think that's really on us as lenders to, to, to better message that, that, and and ensure that we're celebrating the wins. And as you see more of the migration from retail to wholesale, I think over time that, that, you know, preconceived notion will
1: go away. (laughs) All right. And uh, so the third trend FinTech to increase and uh, one of the, the points you made earlier is that in a in a refi boom people often start talk, stop talking about technology and uh, one of my predictions for, for 2019 he did a better job than I did was that it was going to be a year of execution implementation and uh, and all these years of talking about digital mortgages and yeah. process innovation was going to come to fruition in 2019. Then low rates happened and everybody kind of sat back on those decisions and uh, contracts that fintech companies had with, with lenders kind of went to the back burner and implement, implementation dates got got pushed out. But here we are, we're going into 2020 and you are uh, anticipating that fintech will increase.
2: Yeah, I, I do think that... Um... And it's about time, man. I mean, I started off in technology, as we discussed. And and up until, honestly, three or four years yep. ago, there wasn't any difference in the industry from when I started in 96, 97 to – you know, 2000 and, you know, probably, what, 13 or 14, which is when, you know, Day One Certainty came out mm-hmm. and Fannie and Freddie got behind it. Um, that's really what started.
1: Then, then we think. got some push button, get
2: yeah, mortgage commercials. Yeah, that's when it started. And even that, right, <laughs> is still kind of smoke and mirrors to, to, today. But I, I think that really what's going to continue to drive it is the cost structure. I mean, just it has to, right? And I think it kind of lines up with the the migration to wholesale um, because I I mean, speaking from my experience and what we're focused on at HomePoint, and we're heavily focused on investing in the platform and building out the technology and creating a better experience, a more efficient experience that's, that's really thought from the angle of speed and, and, and trying to get lo- don- loans done faster. And so I've, I feel like we're not the only companies doing that. Um, and as we go into next year, right, it's going to become more important for, for companies to focus on that because the cost
1: structures need to come down. It's that simple. So you know? do you see... So when we think about fintech we think about it a few a few different angles we think of the the incumbents that are that are building their own yep. technology systems you think of the 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 venture backed like new entrants that are actually uh lending money or taking deposits and helping out with investment products like yep. uh Kind of the, the sofis of the world, um, yep. and then we think about um, all the solutions providers that are building for the yeah. incumbents. Right. And uh, so, where do you think like the most change will come from in twenty twenty Are these incumbents that are building their own tech? Are these uh, venture capital funded uh, pure play fintech companies that are um, that were started to be technology companies, or are these solutions providers that are uh, are, are finally kind of getting those implementations done? And I
2: honestly and- think I, I I struggle personally with um, with companies building their own technology. And the reason for that is I me mean, I I spent, you know, in my career I built two loan origination systems mm-hmm. and, and they each went the same direction where you get to this point where you don't as one lender you don't have enough scale um, to to continue to invest in it. It becomes very hard to keep it current, right? And so I think you're gonna see more innovation come from people exploring different models in terms of how to originate a loan, right? And meaning blurring the lines of, and I can't, I can't expose this yet for HomePoint, but like yeah. thinking about how you you interact with uh, you know brokers differently and how the interplay between originations and servicing, I think you're going to see a lot of innovation there. And then I also think you're going to see certain niche players solve a portion. Like I think the day of like, yeah, I'm going to try... I, Gotta be careful what I say because I don't wanna throw anyone under the bus. But I think the days of like an LOS that's all encompassing is is not necessarily something that will persist into the future. I think you're gonna see players pop up that are really good at one part of the process that lenders will start to plug in and through that You'll see, you'll see innovation and efficiency start to be I mean, created. I'm a
1: huge fan of, of best-of-breed technology and, bu- and building a tech stack that's unique to your business, but that's not something that small players can do because building a tech stack and find, identifying and managing a ton of best-of-breed solutions or yeah. even half a dozen, it yeah. takes a team. It takes yeah. That takes a director that's of IT exactly right. or, or a CTO. So, I mean, is that like... I, I think the, the, the days of we're, we no longer have to speculate that technology is important for mortgage owners. Everybody has a, has a CTO. But the, uh, that person has to become a, a, a pretty, like an expert. This is not like some homegrown position that someone who spent uh, decades in mortgages kind of uh, just elevates up to. These are real technologists that are coming into the industry.
2: That's right. I'll give you a very specific example in, in what we, we've been doing with Capsalon, right? And so, so I think that, you know, what, we're, we're, we have set a goal Right, that we want to create um, the highest level of efficiency in underwriting that you you, you see in the industry. Yep. We want to get back to that eight or nine files a, a day, right? By underwriting. By the way, right now it's at two, and and if you go around, you ask any lender, they, they might they might tell you it's more than two. They're lying. Yeah. It's all everyone's at two, right? Yeah. Some people use lower cost resources to maintain their two. It's like it's maybe three. I could believe three, and the reason for that is because if you look at what's happened since two thousand seven, you know. It, We've taken on as the, as the lender and the underwriter, there's no longer any ability for the broker to self-serve or the originator to self-serve, right? It used to be pre-2007. The originators could could kind of self-serve and stack their own file. Now, the reason for that was our credit quality was off, and we don't want to go back to those days. I'm not suggesting that. But if we were to approach, as an as a, as a industry, if we were to approach things differently, say how do we empower people using the capsule piece pieces as an example, we want to actually allow brokers to underwrite their own files. That doesn't mean they can file final approve it, but if I was able to, use, to partner with a technology uh, a company like a Capstone, where they're highly focused mm-hmm. on the doc side and they're building rules around now like some, agency guys. they
1: built some like some like AI into that, right? Yeah, Isn't so that's
2: what like? we're doing. We're in the, we're basically doing this internally. We're now like on, on by the end of um, Q1, 75% of the loans that come in will be automatically underwritten from an income perspective. And all the underwriter is doing is just is just validating that. The goal by the end of the year is to be able to expose that to the broker, where the broker can basically upload the, the, pay, the income docs and, you know, the asset documentation. And the system's coming back and saying, all right, based on what you've given me, here's the current approval. They can... They can do scenario stuff, they can change it, but then they get to a final approval, then you have someone come in and do that final touch and review it. That's ultimately how you get back to a high level of efficiency. You got to be able to empower people, right? So I think that using that as like one example, you're going to see that's not an LOS, you're going to see different technology players come in and try to attack a certain part of the process and create efficiency that makes all of our people better and
1: more efficient. So, so at right? home point, there's a lot of Parts of the process that you can you can build on your own, but when you look for like certain capabilities, like AI empowered underwriting, that's right. when you'll, you'll look out to the vendor ecosystem and say like, hey, who's doing something exceptional here and focused on this really niche part of the process? Yeah,
2: and like we want to, we're, our our goals, we want to try to be on the leading edge of this, where we mm-hmm. can partner with vendors and help them build it out. But there's really no value in it for me as a lender to own that technology, right? Because again, it's a scale thing. Yeah. Right. I want I want to have the benefit of what the technology allows us to do and the efficiencies and the lower cost structures result of that. But if if there's all you know, if all lenders have this, like I'm totally cool with that because I wanna compete on execution. Like I wanna win with people and service delivery, right? But I need technology to bring down my cost structure. Right. So does that make
1: sense? It makes perfect sense. Okay. So you talked a little bit about blurring the lines, but you were talking more about origination and servicing. It seems like there's some other players in the industry that are kind of blurring the lines between the real estate transaction and the, and the lending process. And I know in, in your article, you mentioned uh, Zillow and Open Door and Redfin that are, that are expanding both their real estate and lending products as part of the, the fintech play. Um, ha- has a as a leader in the wholesale market, how do you look at the, the opportunity or, or threat that comes through these uh, these platforms that are now taking part in the lending process? Yeah, it's a
2: real, it's, you know, this is one that I think the the iBuyer model is what you're talking about, Um is going to continue to gain traction just because i can tell you me as a you know i think i've owned five or six homes and every time you go and sell your home it sucks right it's like hard it's such, like yeah it's doing a, a even like
1: doing a direct fits. trade-up and yeah. it's like yeah it's not, right. not fun to sell and yeah. buy at the same time
2: and i will tell you like like there's always there's, there's a large contingent of lenders out there that are like you know this is how you know the real estate agent is finally going to be displaced and and i don't really buy into that to be i I do not think yeah. the real estate agent is going to be displaced in my lifetime. I just don't see it happening. But I do think you're going to see a portion of the market. I mean, if you think about it, if you know, it's really interesting to look at what um, Zillow and Open Door are doing because I mean, they're they're starting to operate at scale. If they're able to get to you know three, four, five percent of the market, even
1: though that seems small, that's still a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I know. I, I, this is this is fresh off the presses but I saw that Zillow <laughs> opened up a new focus on uh, on Los Angeles this morning so yep. I think they're going a little bit up market in terms of the size of properties they're willing to transact at. yeah I mean, and so here
2: here's here's why I think this is important to understand um, for, for for you know for originators um, and for agents out there uh, I think the 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 companies that control servicing are going to become more and more important right in terms of understanding where the servicing is going, understanding how to partner with those companies. Because if you do start to see a, a portion of the market displaced where now borrowers aren't using agents anymore to sell and buy homes, right? Then you you risk you know losing that referral business. And so I think the way you continue to capture that is you you find
1: other ways to partner, one of which being, you know, the servicing side. Excellent. Yeah. All right. So I know it's been a few weeks since you put pen to paper on this article <laughs> for the three housing tr- trends to watch in 2020. Uh, and uh, in this fast-moving market we are in, I know things change quickly. Is there any other uh, any other trends or changes that you're anticipating uh, now that we're now that we're just a few weeks out from 2020, recording this in the the, <laughs> the second the second week of December here? But uh, is, is there anything that has has changed in the last month that uh, has, really has you uh, excited or, or on your toes? Oh, I'm always excited, and I'm always <laughs> on my toes. To be clear, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yo, know, it's funny. It's like you can't you in this industry. is like I wish you had a mortgage crystal ball you can't everyone's just guessing right um and maybe some some people are are you know are more educated you know at their guessing than others but no i think i think next year it's not going to be you know an extremely bad year but i do think it's going to be tougher than 19 and it's going to catch some people off guard uh i think home points going to continue to grow i feel very good about our decision to focus on uh Wholesale, and I don't mean that in any disparaging way against my friends in retail, you know. Um, but I think you know wholesale should uh, should do fairly well, and so no, I feel I feel
1: good about where twenty twenty is going. Yeah. All right, Phil. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is Phil Shoemaker, Chief Business Officer at HomePoint Financial. Uh, I think I'm going to go ahead and put this on the calendar to bring you back uh, <laughs> the second week of December 2020, and, let, and let's let's see how these predictions held up. All right, like plan? let's do it. I'm in. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening today, and uh, we'll see you next week. All right, thanks, Clayton.
0: Thank you for listening. Join us next week for Episode 9 of the Housing News Podcast.